Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's uh, Daniel here. Uh, before we start the show, I just wanted to uh, make a quick note. Uh, this particular episode uh, is a very special episode. It's uh, one where two of my favorite people, uh, Michael Fisher from Pocket Now and uh, Taylor Martin of many things, but you may know him from Pocket Now, Android Authority, um, Mod, and uh, most recently, Best Damn Coffee. Uh, guested on the show and uh, due to the length I've split the show into two parts so this uh, is going to be on the first part uh, and that's the interview with Michael and if you want to find the second part which is less about tech uh, and more to do with coffee and productivity and lifestyle with Taylor that's going to be Syrupcast episode 56 part two Uh, please do listen to both they're fantastic uh, and, and really interesting in uh, their own way. And uh, we are so lucky to have uh, had them both on the show. So that's, uh, that's it for me. Uh, thanks for listening and stay tuned for my interview with uh, Michael Fisher. good there's the old clap the old clappity clap um i do not have the clap uh, just just so that everybody knows <laughs> not what you told me off the air but all right well that's what happens off the air it needs to stay off the air <laughs> ladies and gentlemen i'm joined uh for the first time on the syrup cast by the wonderful michael fisher of pocket now how are you sir i'm very well sir thank you this is my first time on the syrup cast it is. I've been oh. on Pocket Now Weekly, I think, five times over the last few years. But uh, probably so. This is the first time we've reversed roles. Wow. Oh, this is great. Because normally, I, you know, your background has not changed in all that time. So I just assumed that I'd been on this show before. But no, it was you on my show. So now I just get to sign up. You have to run the show, and I get I have to, to run back. the show. Good. Although you, okay, so you do. I, I, I just find it so interesting. You on on Pocket Now Weekly have this. This editorial voice that I always find so fascinating, this like, you know, radio announcer persona. Yeah. Uh, you write some copy, I assume. You have a, you know, you, you, you maybe shoot a little bit of whiskey beforehand to get you loose. And oh, I, yeah. I, you know, I don't. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I definitely do. Do, the, do the tequila prep. And then I watch a bunch of uh, Jeff Daniels uh, doing his best Edward R. Murrow on the newsroom before oh, so every good. broadcast. Yeah. So that's that's probably what you're seeing there. Oh, must be. And and we all know how Aaron Sorkin uh, feels about women. So uh, clearly, you know. <laughs> that poor that guy just... gets a bum rap, I have to say. But he that's really probably does. another show. Yes, that's our that's our pop culture show that is uh, certainly not going to happen. <laughs> right. um, so I, uh, I want to talk to you. Um, I haven't actually hosted a syrup cast in, in a month or so. Mm-hmm. So I have not done any CES recap. Um Ooh. I haven't done any 
you know, self-reflection since I wasn't actually on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I had a conversation at CES. Sorry to interrupt, but we uh, I posted an article and uh, and uh, folks, Daniel was very, very gracious and was like, hey, listen. Put some page breaks in your damn paragraphs or I'm never going to read your <laughs> shit again. Sorry, can I curse on this show? Cause yes, we can curse it's 100%. Thank you. Uh, no, actually, it was much more gracious than that. I was like, oh, hey, by the way, why aren't you here? And uh, you essentially said, well, why? W- you didn't say this, but I knew that, that your answer would be some form of why would I go? There's nothing there to report on much that hasn't already been announced elsewhere. Is that basically right or am I miscalculating? Yeah, that sums it up. Pretty well. So, uh, is that true? Did I? I did actually have uh, while I was there a, a lot of FOMO, and uh, some of the reporting um, was not not mobile related FOMO for our mouths only. For oh, for uh, fear of missing out. Oh, okay. Oh, thank you. Sorry, yes. I th- I saw your face. I was like, wait, did I just swear at him? <laughs> <laughs> did I inadvertently insult his what Boston? The hell, did you just say to me? No, um, I, I now I get it. Okay, yeah. So you had some fear of missing out. What what did you what did you see that made you think that you really wanted to be there? Well, okay. So you and I were at uh, at Mobile World Congress together before yes. the show last year when when HTC announced Vive. Yes. And uh, we were very lucky to be, I think, among the first people in the world to hear about Vive. And to, to, to use it, yeah. And to use it. And we, I, I just, I remember being so impressed and so blown away at this early, sl- essentially, uh, prototype uh, that they'd slapped together with duct tape and a few wires. And yeah. I was really impressed, and I heard so many great things about their f- subsequent presentations um, and, and finally, this year at CES, rolling out the Vive Pre. Ah, uh, And, yeah. you know, it was that, it was that real, like, it was that realization that um, as, as diminished a, uh, a, a, as diminished an experience as, as smartphone users have at CES now, or smartphone lovers, tech reporters like us. Mobile lovers, yeah. Everything else is emphasized and is, it, it, it in some way revolves around mobile. I mean, the internet of things, uh, as, as colloquial and, and, and indeterminate a term as, uh, as that may be, you know, has really sort of stepped up. Um, wearables have come into their own. There are a lot of Canadian companies there, uh, who are showing off some great things, but it was virtual reality that hit me as being a, a, a product that I really wanted to be, um, immersed in, I guess, for, you know, pun intended. Um, yeah. So was that was that something that really struck you as as the, the main thing this year or or was there something else? Yeah, I mean unless you cover automotive which we don't. I mean I think there was a lot of car news this year. Some of it, you know, news in in big old quotation marks because there were some concept vehicles shown off there that were not ever, that are not ever going to hit the road. But uh, so if you don't cover that, then yeah, I think VR was the thing you had to latch on to to make the show, to, to sort of put the show in some kind of context. And I think everyone had predicted it. It was nobody surprised. It was no surprise to anyone that it was going to be a VR show. We, I think we knew Oculus was going to be there and that they were going to announce their price point. I know you guys talked about it a lot on your last show, which was in the middle of December, mm-hmm. and which I just listened to maybe two hours ago. Oh. So, yeah, there was a lot of anticipation leading up to that. Uh, to Oculus, you had Vive, as you said, and then um, I tried out a product called the Three Glasses D2 Guardian Edition, maybe? Vanguard. Vanguard Edition. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Have you tried that? Uh, not personally, um, but 
it is um it's regarded as being more of a tech demo than a fully finished product as far as i know yeah i mean it's the in terms of hardware it's as final as as i think you can expect something to be um but i don't know what the deal is with the ecosystem and the underlying stuff and whatever i played a few games on it it's you know it it's going to be 399 is is what the word is and mm-hmm. they're obviously going to they're trying to undercut the uh the the Oculus stuff I am ashamed I didn't get to try the the new Oculus Rift. I tried several times. The booth line was just incredible, and we didn't we didn't get an arrange an appointment. But I did try Vive, and our entire team tried Vive in its new state, the Vive Pre. And I imagine that's the thing you're probably most sore about missing out on, right? I would imagine. I mean, I tried Vive a few times in 2015. Um, from what I understand, the Mura, what was it? What's it called? Um, Mura Spatial. Uh, you're talking about the Guardian thing? Or the, uh, not Guardian. No, the Vive. The fact that they, uh, you're now able to... Chaperone. The Chaperone feature, and and they have uh, something called Mura that um, my colleague Alex Davies wrote about in in great detail um, for us. But basically, the idea is that it's now better able to position you in in space. And you're able to use the front-facing camera to do their... um, yeah, the wireframe stuff like the, the wireframe and see people. Yeah, um, and is, I just think it, it looks a little bit sharper. Like everything has been tightened, and and they've done a good job with making it feel like it's a it's it's a more um, near finished product than it was even just three four months ago. Oh yeah, it feels a lot more like a consumer product now. I, the last time I tried it with the handheld things, they were still on cables. Mm-hmm. I had people calling me out in comments on a five comments. They were never on wires. I'm like, yeah, they were. When when we tried the prototype, it was right. right. So like we had all these harnesses and the thing was on. Now it's much more of a finished consumer product. It looks like something you could buy in a box and take home. The lighthouse stuff, the uh, the sensors on the walls there, and you know the boxes are much more trim now, and they have tripod mounts which i don't think they did before um so yeah i mean all that stuff that you'd expect my biggest difference in my trying with the vibe this time was that i i didn't walk around with it i let the my teammates do that because they had never tried it before and i sat with it and played a version of uh elite dangerous Mm. you know the vr version and it was great and it was cool and it was fun and whatever but i was struck by how how similar it felt to pretty much every other vr solution i'd had Another thing people were giving me hell about was that I, I put it in the same boat as like, you know, the as, as Oculus, but also as Gear VR and Google Cardboard. And certainly there are massive technological differences and differences in user experience and everything. But when you sit down in a chair with the Vive, when you're not allowed to walk around the virtual space, which is the thing it does that's so mind-blowing, it's kind of like every other VR thing. You're sitting in a chair and you're playing a game and looking around. Like, mm-hmm. it's great. But is it? I I really think that in their demos, HTC and Valve are going to have to really continue focusing on the room-wide walk-around aspect of it. Because the minute you sit down with it, you're like, why am I going to pay more than the the Rift for this? But I I also um, you know I, I I'm very cautiously optimistic about the first generation uh, VR products, but I I also am am curious as to how they they expect to uh, market this to consumers not only do people need very powerful computers um you know i i think what's really interesting is you know lucker palmer lucky keeps uh, who's the ceo co-ceo or sorry 
CEO and co-founder of Oculus, Oculus keeps right. saying yeah. how he believes that the proliferation of uh, VR headsets like Oculus and Vive will create a resurgence in um, hardware and, and powerful PC purchases. You know, mm-hmm. back 10 years ago, you and I probably built our own PCs and, and, and everything else was, um, you know, I would never even consider buying a pre-made computer. <laughs> and and part of me was so excited about the prospect of hunting out all those individual components, you know, the CPU paired with the right RAM, paired with the right graphics card, paired with the right case. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was all really fun. Um, and I, you know, insofar as mobile has, has changed the way we live, it also has changed the way that we experience um, consumer hardware in the sense that we look for finished products. We look for... Th- you know, modular is a is a is a term that we look look at endearingly, but only when it comes to changing out pre kind of specified modules, right? So, what I think of as modular, I think of as like Project Aura from Google, yeah, where or Fairphone or any of the other competitors in that field, right? Instead of having to build it from scratch yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wonder if that market is still there um, from that like enthusiast PC building market, um, people willing to spend $1,500 for the latest and greatest in addition to buying all that crazy VR hardware. Yeah, I, I have severe doubts about that. Uh, I think this is another area where HoloLens is very impressive because HoloLens is not virtual reality. It's augmented reality. It's a totally different product. But it does have this one giant trump card, which is this self-contained unit that you put on your head. Like, you don't need to be tethered wirelessly or otherwise to a PC sitting on the floor. It's all there in the, in the hat you wear. Um, I, and I think one of the big challenges of mobile, yeah, it sort of translates, is that I've always said, yeah, the Project RF idea sounds very responsible. It sounds very ecologically sound. I like it from a nerdy perspective even. I like it just popping off a camera and replacing just the camera because that's what I want to upgrade. But you don't get the you don't get the shiny new feel. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, of like, oh, I have an entirely new phone. This is amazing. I don't think people are going to be itching to replace their VR headsets cuz no matter what it looks like or how it's shaped, you always look like an idiot when you're using things. <laughs> but, you know, I, I I kind of don't care that the Vive is sort of this like really chunky um pockmarked looking thing compared to say the the rift because it's like who cares what it looks like i I care about being inside the world but i don't know i i I don't think that uh i think that there's going to be a very narrow range of people at first obviously these are the early adopter crowd who's gonna who's gonna go and invest not only in the vive or the rift but in or the playstation thing whatever that's called but in the supporting hardware that that you need to power it i'm going to be one of them and i think a lot of people who've used one of these consoles um, are, are going to be in the same club, but that's a very small club right now. Did yeah. I tell you about the people I sat next to on the plane ride home? No. I was writing an email about the Vive to my editor-in-chief and running down some bullet points and whatever, and the guy next to me on the plane back from CES uh, he's, like turns off the movie he's watching, and he's like, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, I couldn't help but notice. Did you did you try the Vive at CES? I'm like, yeah, I totally did. He's like, are you, are you going to buy one? I'm like, 
uh, yeah, are you? He's like, oh, totally. I, I have to. I have to now. Like he, and he was fresh from that first Vive experience that you and I had in Barcelona right. where we were made temporarily rendered insane yep. uh, with, with, with adoration. And in the midst of our conversation, the girl next to him, who neither of us knew, the woman next to him, excuse me, was like, excuse me, are you, were you guys talking about the, the VR thing? The vibe? We're like, yeah. She's like, it, wasn't it awesome? Like, it's all our row talked about for right. 45 minutes on this plane. So people who've tried it are going to buy it by and large if they have the money, I think. It's just I a question that. of people I love it. that that happened, that you had that communal experience with yeah. random people. And when was the last time you can say that about technology really i mean really smartphones are so personal you would and, and you know you can say oh is that the latest iphone or is that the latest galaxy and oh that's really pretty but it's not a it's not a it, it's not it's not a social experience and even though vr itself is very isolating i mean it's inherently isolating mm-hmm. um i think that people see beyond that initial use case and they can see past the oh you're just one person in this in this made up you know, digital world. And I think to me, that's what's so exciting about it. It's the second, third generation VR products that live on their own, that um, you don't need auxiliary hardware, that connect to the internet and you can experience these worlds with other people. Mm -hmm. And when they get down to the price point where you don't have to be you know, a a, a Silicon Valley VC to afford it, (laughs) you know? And that's... That's where the real excitement is going to be. I agree with you. The second and third generation of this stuff. This first wave is going to be for the, like I say, for the early adopter crowd, and it's going to be too expensive and too limited and stuff. But yeah, second or third generation, when this stuff gets streamlined, gets consumerized, and cardboard is helping with that push. I know a lot of people who've tried cardboard in the regular world, in the in the real world. Uh, you guys were talking about the New York Times thing, where they bundled that with an issue, and you experienced a particular story with the New York Times, like through Google Cardboard. Yeah, no, th- this is the next big exciting thing, I think. So it makes all the sense in the world that that was the focus of CES for us. But what what really strikes me is, um, you know, VR and, you know, automotive reporting is still very much isolated from the main sort of mobile tech reporting world. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and increasingly on mobile syrup, we've been forced to um, contend with the idea that Phones are no longer or won't be forever what what butters our bread. You know, phones themselves are commoditizing. They're not as exciting. They aren't getting as many page views. Mm-hmm. Um, and our business model isn't is is inherently um, is sorry necessarily going to have to change. And I wonder, you know, from from your perspective. Um, how do we report on these new innovations? How do you report on VR? You know, it's so interesting to write about something that very few people can experience the way that you can take a photo of a phone with a, you know, a new feature on its screen and say, this is how it works. Or taking a, a you know, a GIF of, of somebody's thumb moving across a glass screen. I mean, these are these are challenges that all reporters are going to have to tackle. They're massive challenges, and we've been tackling. We've been trying to tackle them at Pocket Now for the past few weeks, and it's been it's been rocky. I mean, uh, you know, we do a lot of video, and we hadn't done a Vive video, so we did. I was like, listen, we gotta have a video of the Vive. We have one for three glasses. We're gonna have one for Oculus. Let's do this. And when you 
first of all, when you can't shoot anything that you can actually see in the goggles, that's then you you basically have a three or four minute video of somebody walking around like slack jawed idiot, you know, wearing a dumb thing on his face, like kind of wandering around a room and bumping into walls. That's not really compelling stuff, no matter how good your narration is. And even if you are able to cut in some B-roll, which uh, in that in the case of the Vive HTC did provide us with some from their press room, I was like, oh, good. It's still not the same. This is such such a personal experience. It's almost impossible to report on it through the video medium. And then if you write about it, I wrote one of the most floral pieces I've written in recent memory uh, after the first time we tried the Vive when we all felt like we were on drugs. Yeah. And it was one of my favorite pieces I ever wrote because I had a great time reliving it. But I'm still not convinced I was able to convey uh, that that sort of experience. It is much easier, you're right, to to talk about uh, how this watch feels on my wrist and how readable this, that display is in sunlight. Those are really tangible, practical things. But I also think we have a lot more experience, you and I and people of our in our field, with doing that more conventional type of reporting. And I think that 10 years ago, the average person maybe was looking at some of those, the very earliest smartphone reviews, maybe 15 years ago, rather, and saying, like, what, you got 3,000 words on a on a pocket PC? How can you even do that? That makes no sense. You know what I mean? Right. And that became a, a decade-long kind of golden age of gadget reporting. So mm-hmm. I just think it's going to take time and different means of of reporting. And on the video side, certainly there, there's, there are no shortage of uh, opportunities to use VR itself as the medium for explaining VR. Yeah, yeah, and I, I anticipate a lot of um, a lot of people are, are going to sort of have to force themselves to be uncomfortable um, in the short term. You know, like using cardboard may be disorienting, but using cardboard may be the only way to learn about using cardboard. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, weirdly, right? You know, it's a uh, it, it's one of those things where you're like, if I'm shopping for a, a fridge, I know what it needs to do. I need it needs to keep my shit cold and it needs to be spacious Uh, when i'm shopping for a phone but i mean that's the other thing too is um writing about phones changed so much since you and i started that it's it's become a completely uh different process but at the same time the baseline of of i would say reader knowledge has risen to the point where we no longer have to explain what an SOC is to most people. Right. I mean, to the very kind of, you know, to the Joanna Stearns and, and you know, uh, Farhad Manji or Farhad Manju, uh, like readership, maybe if you're talking to, you know, the New York Times or the or the Wall, the Wall Street, Street Journal, Journal. Yeah. Um, you may you may not use that particular nomenclature, but to, you know, mobile syrup and pocket now readers, I feel like I've earned the right to bypass a definition of system on a chip or i can assume that if somebody's reading about the galaxy s7 they may have already read extensively about the s6 and the s5 and the s4 right and therefore they're content i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. The of, 
you know, oh, this is the history of Exynos. This is the history of Qualcomm's Snapdragon. Um, you know, these tangible things, I've I've earned the right not to rehash this. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, so, Whereas that's not really the case in VR right now because it's sort of new to everyone, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's new to us too. You know, yeah. we are we're learning as we go, which is what's so exciting. It is right. It's that the, the intoxication of the novel thing after having done the same thing for so long. Now, I will say that I'm coming from a slightly different perspective in that I've, I get that everyone's tired of smartphones and like everyone around me is tired of smartphones, but I'm still and sometimes I am, too. But most often I'm still really, really enthused to get a new phone in and be like, wow. Well, how does that power button feel versus the volume rocker? I'm going to talk about this for 300 words. You know what I mean? So I'm still a nerd about it. But even I get swept up in the in the novelty of reporting on an entirely new category where, yeah, I'm going to get comments that are like, you don't know what you're talking about. Here's six points. And I'm like, four of those you're not right about. But two, yeah, I'm talking on my ass because I've never reported on this before. Right. And I did the research that I could do before the deadline I had. But, oh, wow, I screwed up. That's kind of fun again. Because I yeah. screwed up with smartphones early on too, you know. It's just adaptation phase. I mean, just sort of dwelling on on the idea of of this kind of reporting, you know, um, it it strikes me that you know we sort of the the blog format you you sort of have to be writing um, this living thing, you know, it never really ends. Yeah. Um, and yet we write these reviews as points in time. Right. You know, we write the phones for the software that they're shipped with, and we may write a six-month-later update with a new software version or bug fixes or whatever. Mm-hmm. But for many of our readers, they aren't buying these phones the first day they come out. They're not buying them the second or third month they come out. They're buying them six months later many times. And the experiences that they have are um, completely different to what we have because they live with these this one thing every day for hours and hours and right. you know by necessity you and i switch phones all the time and i've i've spoken with uh you know phil nickinson about this from android central um you know and he he puts it so plainly on his podcast where you know we're so lucky to be doing what we're doing but we're also so out of touch with how regular people use their technology yeah um and what's so interesting about VR at the moment is that we're in the exact same place as you, the listener. You know, that's what <laughs> that's I really find so point. amazing and so uh, revelatory about the whole thing is that nobody, nobody knows where this will go. Nobody knows, you know, expert or novice alike is there. We're all in the same place. And it's that to me is so fascinating and so uh, ripe for disruption and and allows us to make mistakes and not worry that that is going to be perceived as us not knowing what the hell we're talking about mm-hmm. because nobody knows what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's 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 a wild west and that to to a degree that never really happened in tablets because what they were they were they were oversized smartphones basically in terms of their hardware and stuff and it didn't really happen in wearables because for all the for all as hot and bothered as I can get about talking about smartwatches uh, I think a lot of many more readers than is the case with smartphones kind of like look at a wearable article and they're like oh, okay sort of shrug and go back about their business because nobody really cares unless you talk about the Apple Watch and then half the people are just there to hate on it. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, you know, VR has, has sort of, it, it offers a, a, that excitement in a 
in a way that the past couple categories have not really. And now you are a, uh, and now you're gone. And now I'm alone. And, uh, well, that's a profoundly strange experience for me because I, I've been alone on my own podcast before, but that's my own podcast. And I'm the guest who's alone. I don't have a Q&A panel either, so I can't take questions. I don't even know if I'm still really live or not. I mean, I can't, I can refill my seltzer, which is what I've been meaning to do. Oh, he's back. Daniel Bader is back. I have no idea. Suddenly the screen went black and I had to riff for a moment. Don't worry. Everyone was very entertained. I'm certain of it. Isn't Hangouts great? It sometimes isn't. (laughs) I do like your understated ways. Uh, So... I think, um, what was I going to say? We were just we're, talking about, we were wrapping up the Wild West aspect. Yeah, let's, let, let's, just, let's just say that that ended naturally. I, um, <laughs> Great idea. I, I'm actually, so you said you're, you're, you're reviewing something. Are you allowed to talk about it? Yeah, we're stupid late to this. Um, I'm reviewing the old Mate 8. Have you guys, re- did you guys put your review up on this already? No, I, we we aren't getting the Mate Eight in Canada, so they they didn't send out any review units. We are not getting it in North America either. But when you, I guess this is the one thing you missed out on at CES, if you want to call this missing out, is that Huawei did its usual Oprah thing, where all of the forty thousand people or whatever that came to their came to their press event got uh, got a, a, a choice of a review device. Oh, okay. So you you know you got the bracelet. Normally it's a Mate event. Normally they just give you the Mate. This time because they were reannouncing two products, they'd already announced the Mate Eight like two months before, and they'd already announced the Gold Six P. Um, but they reannounced them, and they were like, "Hey, you can take home one or the other." So we had a couple guys on the ground. We took home a Gold Six P so that Jaime could have a Nexus reference device. I took home the Mate Eight because we need to review it, mm-hmm. and uh, I've been having fun. I've been having a lot of fun because, you know, those things where you get a device and you're like, I think I know how I feel about this. And then a week later, you're like, yeah, I was right. I know how I feel about this. And you're like, there's no real journey of understanding there. Mm-hmm. That hasn't happened this time. Oh, twist. Yeah, and crazy, right? And it's not one of the crazier twists, which for me was like, I guess the Fire Phone was one because I'm still mm-hmm. the only reviewer I know who actually liked a lot of what the Fire Phone had to offer and just thought it was priced wrong. How dare you? I know. But I started that experience being like, oh, I'm about to review a piece of crap. And then it turned out that, no, I liked a lot of it. Um, this made eight. I kind of started with, I was like, oh, well, this was presented in a very lengthy you know, an, an announcement that covered a lot of stuff that I already know about. So I'm, I'm kind of exhausted by this phone already. And it's got this crappy Emotion UI software, which is, eh, it's, I don't know about the aesthetics really and whatever. But as the review progressed, I kind of, I grew to respect it, not necessarily mm. to like it, because I wouldn't get it myself. I, I don't, I, I, for various reasons. But when this phone lasted a whole weekend without me charging it, and like with with seven point five of those hours being screen on time, like, you know, that'll get my attention pretty quick. And when you're not making that many sacrifices in terms of specs. Really, it's only the display that takes a step down to to enable that to full HD from quad. That's pretty impressive. And I'll forgive stuff like kind of unappealing software aesthetics, which any power user who are the only kind of people who are going to be buying this thing in North America knows how to change anyway with a custom launcher. Right. You know, you pair it with a passable camera, a really cool fingerprint scanner, 
decent enough look and feel. Yeah, I, it's it's a good for 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 a certain class of power user. This is a good device despite its high price tag. So, yeah, I mean, I've been um, I've been really impressed by Huawei's um, hardware abilities over the last few years. Uh, the six P blew me away. Yeah. I love it. I think it's my, it's definitely my favorite Android phone. Um, yeah, the six P is impressive. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I I do understand that their Mate series isn't really made for us North Americans Mm -hmm. um, and that it can pass or that it is passable uh, from our standards. I mean, how do they pronounce it? EMUI? I I just call it EMUI. I think they used to call it the Emotion UI. I don't know if they still do. I forgot. Yeah. So I think they've, they've acknowledged that it's, it's for a certain type of user. Yeah. Um, And still like I, I've, I use the, the, I think it was the P6 a couple of years ago, and and they've pared down EMUI since then. I I would imagine, mm-hmm. um, but even then, I I was okay with it. I mean, as as long as you put a custom launcher on it and load your own apps, it's it's fine. Yeah, and I, they were impressing me a while back. I think one of the first reviews I did for PocketNow was the Ascend P. It might have been the P6. I don't I don't know. It was whatever they released in 2012. And yep. uh, yeah, and I was like, "Wow, this is thin. It's plasticky, but I mean, it's thin, and this has a nice, nice enough software build." Back then, they weren't doing the EMUI thing. You know, it was fine. So uh, I, we talked a lot about that on this week's episode of the Pocket Now Weekly, which aired today, about Huawei's future in North America as a result of not really the Mate Eight, but as a result of the Six P. And um, there's a unit that's cleared the FCC. For the United States, a Mate 8 variant mm-hmm. that we may see. I don't know if we'll see a carrier pick it up because Huawei still has not done that yet in our country because of various reasons. A lot of people speculate it's the U.S. the U.S. government still not being totally hip to allowing that. But um, whatever the case, Huawei is really well positioned, I think, to to continue its push into North America. You know, building on the back of that of that 6P which has just been so well received, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting um, that the 6P has not been subject to the same scrutiny as a Huawei branded smartphone would have been. Yeah. Um, And I, I mean, I, I wonder if it's because it's released under Google's name or if Google, you know, I mean, there's a lot of potential conspiracies about this, I I don't think it's a matter of Huawei not being welcome by the government. I think it's more to do with what a lot of Chinese OEMs are contending with. It's just really hard to break into the U.S. Period. Mm. It's a difficult market that's saturated, and brand recognition is so expensive to build. <laughs> it is, you that. know, yeah. and uh, I I really I mean HTC has and Motorola too have have demonstrated this in in really unfortunate ways over the last couple of years. Um, you know, yeah. Motorola has had to pare back its... Well, I mean, the fate of Motorola is still up in the air, but it's it's been forced to re, essentially reinvent itself several times. Right. And HTC has suffered, you know, from just a lack of capital, you know, if you can put it like that. Yeah, well, and that's why I think that I, actually I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't assign Huawei's lack of penetration in the U.S. to a uh, 
to it to its inability to 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 do that uh, or a lack of desire certainly because I mean Motorola's Motorola didn't it was with Google for a year and Google certainly demonstrated that it didn't know exactly how to position that first Moto X for a very you know for for the latter half of its life they ran a few ads but sort of this half-hearted push HTC is and now Motorola is owned by Lenovo and now Motorola is not a thing anymore and then you have HTC who's just sort of been inept at marketing since like 2009 sometime I think or 10 and um, you know and, and Huawei has this wonderful possible partner in AT&T in the United States who seem willing to pick up and run with any phone that anyone throws at them that carrier is so good at securing exclusives that they've carried every Windows phone, every major Windows phone launch. You know, they did the HTC first. Um, they've, they're carrying more wearables than anyone. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so I, I can't imagine that it's anything but. And Huawei's the third largest uh, mobile phone maker, right? Or the third largest smartphone maker. So like, they've got the money. I can't. Im- yeah. You know, I, I can't. I don't know. It's I can't see anything anything else being the impediment. But uh, well, the government. Yeah, I, I mean, if you. So I'm I'm using Canada as an example, and it's a little bit more complicated than this, but um, Huawei was not devoid of criticism from the Canadian government either, oh. even though many of the carriers use Huawei equipment on their towers. Yeah. Um, but there, there were accusations, same as the U.S., and, and Huawei has refuted them. But the, the thing is that the companies built up quite a brand here not to mention the fact that they've opened up an R&D center in Ottawa mm. so they are currently spending i would think in the in the realm of 100 million dollars to um you know invest in Canada and and, and therefore in North America because they're so similar um they do work with some carriers here to uh to roll out certain smartphones so the huawei y6 which is a very very entry level you know android device i think Mm -hmm. it has like an 800 by 480 pixel screen like one of those like super cheap phones yeah um that you can buy for under 100 bucks but that's been really heavily pushed here by rogers which is the at&t equivalent in canada and what what's become clear is that huawei like many other android uh, Chinese-based Android OEMs has found a niche for itself in the entry-level and mid-range um, smartphone market. Right, and I'd imagine if they do end up coming to the U.S., it won't be pushing the Mate Eight, which may only sell a few thousand units. It will be that you know prepaid Sprint, um, you know track phone Boost type mobile product. Thing. Right, right, and uh, over time you may see it launch you know more expensive devices, but. I just think it's much more difficult to 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 penetrate the North American smartphone market than we think. I think you're right, and I, you make a good point in your R and D talk. I, uh, Huawei actually has an R and D center in uh, Santa Clara, California, and has since like 2011. So okay. yeah, there, there's there's substantial presence, and I do think in retrospect that a lot of the concern about allowing Huawei to do business in the United States did really more concerned the infrastructure side of it the, the network equipment stuff so yes I, I yeah i think your point is well taken i don't know which of them is the bigger contributor to huawei's lack of presence here but i think with devices like the mate 8 which have 
the whole made line has evolved so rapidly in terms of going from something something I would never consider to something I would consider, but grudgingly because it's obviously a ripoff of Phone X, mm-hmm. to something like, oh, well, this is not terrible. This is not outstanding, but this is this is at least a, a somewhat original product that behaves very well and does what it says it's going to do. You know, I, they're they're evolving so rapidly that I think at this time next year, they may have a phone besides the Nexus 6P. They may have a phone of their own that Google did not mandate its design that is going to be so compelling that, you know, people like me will be tempted. People like you will be like, oh, okay, interesting, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I, what I find really interesting is that the trajectory is not dissimilar to that of Samsung's. Right. You know, when, when you consider the, you know, the Korean giant's early days in the smartphone business um you know we have we have uh judicial evidence <laughs> that it was certainly not original i mean as right. as as heavily refuted as as that may be um you know we have actual proof that they copied elements of the iphone mm-hmm. um and then over the years that has certainly um as they've grown uh changed and i think you know, as, as I, I remember being at Mobile World Congress last year and, and being in a conversation with a few Android peeps um, who were upset at Samsung's very blatant copying of the iPhone's bottom, you know, yeah, you know, the, 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 the etchings and the and the uh, yeah, the Galaxy S6. Sorry, there the etchings in the bottom and things. But yeah, honestly, I, I just I it's a metal and glass phone. You know, I don't think that they went out of their way to copy any part of the iPhone. Um, I think that there are elements of building a phone that are, you know, that are just similar. I mean, it's certainly not the 1A9 from HTC, which is <laughs> yeah. so blatant an iPhone copy that you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to think that they even went in with their, with their own design in the first place. Yeah. Um, and it, you make a good point by bringing up Samsung because they did that back in the day, in the days of dumb phones as well. And not to pick on Samsung too much, but uh, Sanyo did it as well. When Motorola like shattered the world with the Razer in, in 2004, um, yes. and everyone just wanted to get this, this 599 dumb phone because it was so beautiful, there were instant copycats. And Samsung and Sanyo made some of the highest profile ones. Like This has been a truth for, for a very long time. Yeah, but eventually Samsung Sanyo sort of went out of the picture. But Samsung went on to then design some really, really impressive smartphones that were like top tier in terms of features uh, for in the in the feature phone world. Some of which took until like last year to be replicated in the smartphone world. So, yeah, I, I think that it's going to be really interesting to see what Huawei does as it continues to mature along the same lines. And I and there are a lot of other companies that are interesting to watch too, but Huawei is the mo- the highest profile of them because for all this time we've just been doing the headlines of like Huawei passes yet another competitor to be number number four instead of number five or number three instead of number four, and people in America have just been like, okay, that's interesting. Who are they? And right. now people are starting to know, you know. Yeah, and I, I mean we could we could have a whole podcast about this, um, but. You know, there are other companies like ZTE, Alcatel, OneTouch, uh, who are, are are similarly positioned and, and, and making very targeted um, partnerships 
with brands. You know, Alcatel is the, um, the lead sponsor for the LA Galaxy. Yeah, right. And in Canada for the uh, Toronto FC. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are they're doing well in Canada in in a way that no they've they've really done uh, a big push working with two carriers in particular uh, Bell and Telus, and what they've decided is they're going to make phones uh, before the Idle Three, which was very impressive for its price. Yeah, they were building phones for our carriers that. Um, were similar to their international phones, but they had features specific to Canada. And it seems like that's the way that a lot of these companies go. They'll, they'll work with carriers to build devices that, that the carriers want until they reach scale, at which point then they'll build one SKU or a few SKUs and then roll them out to everybody and say and tell the carriers, listen, we're running the show now. Yeah. If you want our phone you can say yes or no. Right. Which is what and the same exact thing Samsung did with the, with the yeah, Galaxy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think everybody was so impressed by the Galaxy S2 because it was so dissimilar to the <laughs> to the first four Galaxies, five, the, the first generation Galaxies were, there was one for every carrier. One for every carrier. And they all had different names too. It was like Captivate, and, you know, Magistrate and Vibrate or whatever the hell they were all called. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I love the vibrate. It really, it, it just really hit the spot. It sure did. <laughs> well, sometimes. No, you know, and, and uh, you know, the S2, but the S2 had variants too. It was not until the S3 that they were identical across Correct. all of Yeah. And, yeah, that's right. Because Sprint had the very famous Galaxy, Sprint, Samsung, Galaxy S2, Epic 4G Touch. True. Yeah, in Canada, we didn't. We had one variant here. Ah, uh, so okay. Roger, we had a, a different experience. Yeah, I, uh, I just want to thank you so much for joining me. I, I really think... This was the most enjoyable, rambling, completely casual, off-topic conversation I've had in a long time. So I agree. I, uh, I really no, appreciate it. Really, thank you for having me on, and I'm I'm really glad that this uh, that I finally got to do it because, man, it's it's been forever, and uh, we'll have to get you back on the weekly at some point. Well, I think we should uh, look to do something a little bit more regularly. What do you What do you say? Maybe maybe something of, of our own. It's something. Wow. Wow, I like this. I'm putting. I'm just putting it out there. So, you know, I'll I'll take. You know, I want to talk at least. I want to devote at least one episode to breakfast cereal. And if you can agree to that, then we've got ourselves a deal. Sold. Okay. <laughs> Terrific. Beautiful. All right, Michael. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. Sounds good. All right. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. On Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.